vote is coming around by the school board on the teachers that are going to get tenure and the teachers are not being granted tenure. Now this is a big school district so there must be 30 of us or something, I don't know, elementary, middle school, high school, all young. We, we kind of show up you know, at the board meeting where they are going to read off the names of the teachers who are being granted tenure. Mm. And out of this list of 30 names, everybody's name is mentioned but mine. <laughs> you got a long chapter, way to go. Chapter 85. <laughs> okay, well, let's uh, let's jump into part two. So, um, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Creative Contact. Um, another special episode with uh, with the Padre um, at home kicking it with Pops. And if you missed the first episode, what are you doing with your life? Uh, go back, tune in. That kind of um, that'll catch you up to where we are. But in case you don't. Um, you know, there's plenty more to come on the way, but the last two, uh, Pops and I were just checking it out. So it was on, in the ski patrol. I think you had just, um, kind of gotten, you had finagled your way into it. And also if people missed the last episode too, my Pops has been working on a memoir for the past few years. So he, he wrote, he kept pretty detailed journals for a long time. So he's been going in, um, and sort of transcribing that and turning that those stories um, into cohesive chapters for the memoir. So everything, I'm trying to get these stories while everything's fresh on his mind. So we've still got a way to go. More chapters in the mix. Um, but Pops, if you if you remember where we kind of left off, let's uh, let's take it from when you first kind of got, you finagled your way onto the ski patrol and, um, and what happens after that. So as so often happens with the U.S. military, because I don't think it's changed any over the millennia. It's, it's a pretty messed up organization. So here I am, I'm on, I'm, this is the Vietnam War, and I'm in the Bavarian Alps on the ski patrol, You're working in an information office, where I walk out of the office and turn and look up, and there's the Zugspitze, the second highest peak in, in Germany. And it's a small international ski town, Garmisch Partenkirchen. So I, I couldn't be in a, in a better place in terms of you know, having been drafted during the Vietnam War. So one afternoon, I walk out of the office and start walking down the, the, the drive, you know, the, the, the little paved access road that heads back toward the barracks mm. and all the lights are on because it's winter time and it's only probably five o'clock or whatever and there's all this hooting and hollering and all this noise coming from the barracks so I'm thinking boys what the hell's going on something's up so I walk in and everybody's just elated I mean the the guy, the, all these, you know, my fellow soldiers, they're all jumping around and happens like, what the heck's going on? So I so said, you didn't hear. I said, hear what? They said about the drop. And I said, what are you talking about? Well, Nixon and Kissinger realized that in order to get Nixon reelected in 1972, because this is, nine, um, this is like 1970, they, they, they have to reduce the body count in Vietnam. So they, oh, I'm sorry, no, I was drafted in 70. So this must be 71, in, in, in 71 into 72. They come up with a plan. So they're going to uh, reduce the, the, the number of um, soldiers in the military and reduce the body count in Vietnam. So they come up with what's called the drop which meant that if you were in Vietnam, you were going to get six months knocked off your military time. If you were in, uh, no, four, okay, it's been so long now, but it was half-assed backwards. So it was four months, like if you were in Vietnam, 
five months in the States and I know six months in, in, in Europe. So all of a sudden now, like we're all of us, we're getting five months just knocked right off our time in the army. So basically, a lot of guys look like going home. Like, and how long was the commitment, the initial commitment? Two years? Well, a draftee normally, yeah, for two years. So six months, that's a quarter of your time. So, yeah. So I that's wound dope. up actually 20, yeah, so it was actually five months because I wound up only being in the army 19 long, miserable months. <laughs> but but unfortunately, and, and I, the irony of it is, now, a lot of guys like me was like, no. Because now I'm at the ski patrol. I'm on the ski patrol. Yeah. Who the hell wants to leave this place yeah. and go back? But it doesn't matter. We're all, we're, we're being sent back to our units five months ahead of time. So I wound up, I wind up being sent back to Worms headquarters. And... Of course, once I get back there, then I'm, of course, now I'm happy because now I'm, I'm getting out. And when you're in, you know, when you're a short timer in the military, there's nothing that looks better than the day that you know you're getting out of this freaking organization. Yeah. That is just messed up. So the day comes when I'm going to, it's ETS, I think I remember now. It's like the day you're getting out. You're going to, go, we're going back to the States. So I've got all my duffel bag packed. I got my dress greens on. I say goodbye to my buddies in the TASCOM headquarters. I get on the train, and I take the train from Worms to Frankfurt, which is the big. Uh, that's Frankfurt was the big headquarters for all the U.S. military guys coming in and out of Europe, because mm. there's the big air base there where all the guys are flying out on the C-130s, those great big aircraft. Um, transport aircraft so i i get to the headquarters building and i and i walk in and i you know i know this i you know i ask around there's an office that i have to go to it's on the second floor of this old barracks building in in downtown frankfurt somewhere and this is the day that we're all getting out i mean this is the day we're all going home and i'm walking down the hallway and these guys are coming by me in the opposite direction and they're 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 upset. They're, they're, you could tell some of them are so upset. They're, their eyes are red and they're mm. like crying. And I'm yeah. thinking, oh no, oh no, this is the U.S. fucking army. Something, I, it, it's, everything is backwards. Yeah. Everything that you think is going to happen isn't, and anything you expect to happen is going to be the complete opposite. It's just a mixed up organization that no normal person should want to have anything to do with except 19 year olds that get suckered into <laughs> thinking they're doing something good yeah. but anyway so I get to the office where I'm supposed to present my orders and there are these two young guys sitting at a table and they I put my orders down and they look at my orders and they say oh um, you're you're not you're not going home they've canceled the drop you got to call your unit, tell them to come back and get you. So now I'm thinking, you gotta be kidding me. I've, now I've had it in my head, I'm getting yeah. out, I'm getting out of this crazy screwed up organization and I should have known that something was gonna happen to screw it up. So like all these other guys now, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, my breath is taken away because I should have known. Well, just as fate would have it, I didn't, when I turned to walk away, I was so upset that I didn't turn and walk down the hallway. I just turned around to face a window that was on the opposite side of the hall. So there's, just picture, there's a doorway with a little table in it, two guys sitting with the table blocking the doorway yeah. in a hall. And then on the other side of the hall is a window facing out. So I just turn around, take like three steps over to the window and so I can look out and just wish that I could get my hands on Henry Kissinger and Richard Nixon, either one of them. When this officer comes up and he walks up to the two guys who are more like me, they're spec fours, they're just administrative guys, yeah. you know. And he says to them something along the lines like, what are the dates that you're telling these guys that are the because they had selected dates when you came in and when you're supposed to get out. And so he says, what are those dates that you're t 
telling the guys is the cutoff point. And one of the guys, you know, innocently just says, whoa, we've been saying this date. And he's like, no. Like, he didn't call him by, you know, he didn't call him, you know, anything foul, but yeah. he was pretty upset. He goes, no, that's the wrong date. So now, all these guys that these two young men have given the wrong dates to, they've all, and a lot of them, these are married guys. These guys have been in the army for a while. They've, their, their wives are over there with their children. Yeah. They've all sent their wives and children back to the States thinking because they're, they're going to be flying out on this particular day right. when the guys have screwed up. And so, the, you know, the officer's pretty upset with them. And I'm listening to this and realizing, oh, wait. So I turned back around and I stepped back up to the table and I said, look at my paperwork. Look, am I, you know, am I still okay? Am I still getting out? And the officer looks at it and he goes, yeah, no, you're good. You're, you're still flying out. And I was like, oh, <laughs> holy moly. So within two days, you know, I'm on a plane back to, you know, back to Fort Dix and back to your grandparents, grandma and grandpa Corks. And I'm out of the army in Syracuse, you know, in the Syracuse yeah. area. And so when you're back, when you're flying back there, what, what's the plan? Like when, are you thinking, what am I doing next? You already kind of have a game plan in oh, mind? No. So it was a, a good plan and also a stupid plan. <laughs> Welcome to my life. So before I got out, I, you know, I had, I had gotten my bachelor's and my teaching degree before I was drafted. Mm. So while I was still in the army, I reached out to the principal where I had done my student teaching. You text him or oh, yeah, send, text, yeah. send, uh, send an email? <laughs> that was a long way away before <laughs> that technology Wait, comes so around. that's interesting. You're already, you're already planning while you're in the, in the military. So you write him a letter. You say, hey, man, I'm, him a letter. I'm coming back, so-and-so. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. So you've got some yeah. wheels in motion. And I, you know, I, you know, I, I, I hoped he would remember, because I student taught in that yeah. building. I hoped he remembered me. And he did. He wrote me back and said, well, we are going to need a sixth grade teacher. He sent me an application. I filled it out. And I sent it back. So I kind of knew I had a, I was going to have a teaching job that fall. That's awesome. Yeah, that was the, that was the awesome part. Here's, here's where things were kind of not, not, so, not awesome. so awesome. The way the military had it set up is if you were in Europe and you got out and you were getting out of the army, you could get, and you were in Europe, you could get out of the army in Europe and stay there for a year and the military would still pay your way back home. Hmm. At one point, before I took the before I sent the letter to the principal, I thought about because I was a Spanish major, and I had already met a couple of young GIs who had been traveling in Spain. I thought, oh man, you know, I'm going to get out here in Europe, and I'm going to go to Spain and travel in Spain for a year, backpack through Spain, and then I'll go back to the states. But your grandfather was such um, he was such a, a fiscal conservative, and I you know I'd spent enough time as a young man around Grandpa Cork that it was like you know you got bills you pay them you pay bills on time yeah. you save your money all that kind of stuff. Well, I knew I had my college loans were going to be coming due, so I thought how can I travel for a year. How can I be a responsible fiscal individual, travel for a year in Europe and still make my loan payments? So I, I can't I can't do that. I need to go back to the States and get it, you know, get my job, work that summer, go back to work construction, start making my loan payments. So that's what happens. You know, I send the application, Bob tells me, you know, to I I can't even remember if I was offered the job before I got home, but I knew it was a, because he was a veteran. Yeah. So I knew me being a veteran now, you know, it was you, I was going to be in. So I get home to Liverpool to your grandparents, and you know, just like a week within. Oh, and so guess how much money I owed on my student loan that I was so concerned about that I felt I couldn't stay in Europe for a year and I needed to get back to make the loan payments. Two grand. A thousand dollars. You better get back ASAP, Pop. That <laughs> loan's a calling. What an idiot. That's what crazy. Idiot. If you think about college debt now, yeah. 
it's like six figures. Yeah. It like that shit follows you to the grave. Some people. Yeah. That's crazy, pop. So I, so, you know, but I figure, oh, no, I got to be able to make those payments. (laughs) So I go to the bank and when I get to the, go to the, to the bank, the key, key bank or whatever it is in Liverpool. And I go up to the counter. I tell the woman, you know, that I want to start making arrangements (laughs) to start making my loan payments. And she says, oh, no, you don't have to start making these for a year. year. (laughs) (laughs) So no, but as it turned out, (laughs) <laughs> I mean, it, it's good because I got my first teaching job. Yeah. So I started, you know, got my first teaching job at, at high middle school, which is going to, of course, going to set a whole trajectory in motion. Wow. Okay. So so you come back, you get that gig, and is Heim, um now that I'm coming out of subbing, and I know it's a little different than teaching, but uh, how long were you at Heim for? Four years. Okay. So that's when, that's the one... Up in Williamsville. Up in Williamsville. So, but this is your first time as a full-time teacher. Yeah. Um, I realize now, seeing a lot of first-time teachers, first-year teachers, interacting with a lot of them, it's kind of a trial by fire. You kind of got to learn just by doing it. Um, it's I, hard. It's really, it, it completely changed my perspective of teachers. Um, and I also want to get into teaching too at some point, but as far as we don't have to spend a ton of time on that, because I know there's some juicy stories in that in these four years. But um, that first year as a professional teacher, you're 25, 24. I, yeah, I must have been 24. Right? 24. Yeah, because you're 18, 22. 20, yeah, so I'm 24. So you're 24. What's it? Is that first year you're working as an adult? You feel like it's everything is cracked up to be. You're working with little kids. You're you enjoy it? Like what what's that sort of first year like for you? Oh gosh, I'm you know, I'm I'm in heaven. I mean, I, this is Williamsville. It's an affluent white suburban community. So the kids are pretty good. The kids, you know, predominantly Jewish hmm. uh, families. So kids are highly motivated, highly academically Word. motivated. Um, and the pay is good. It's one of the highest paying school districts in western New York. The superintendent at the time uh, was a William Keller. He was recognized as being this really creative, innovative superintendent. So as a young teacher, when I would go to conferences like that first year and teachers would be you know, sitting around and, and somebody would say, you're like, well, where do you work or what district do you work in? I'd yeah. say Williamsville. And the teacher would go like, Williamsville? How'd you get a job in Williamsville? Oh, wow. I mean, it was it, one of those it, schools. It was. It was like the, one of the districts to, to work in. As far as that population, were there any people of color? Really in Williamsville, or is it pretty, pretty yes. white? Yes, uh, it was pretty white. Pretty white, yeah, pretty white. Word. And um, yeah, it, it was, it was almost. I, I don't know how there if there were. It was not many. Did you did that have any coming? From, I wasn't sure when you were in the military, and especially back when you were in Florida. I assume there was you know a lot of diversity. Was it was it that did that play into it all? Being like, oh, there's just it's mostly white students, or was it just sort of something like. This is a job. I'm coming for it. And just something where you're like, I'm just rolling with what I got. Well, remember, we talked about in the last episode, I grew up in oh, segregated oh, Florida. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So there oh. is no mixing. Yeah. So, I, you so know, you're like, this is what white. I know. Yeah. This is what I know. what I know. And so you show up that first year and was sixth grade. Had that, is that what you'd student taught? Yeah. Well, uh, yes and no. I student taught because I was a, a dual major. I, I had switched into the L Ed, remember? Oh, right. So, but I had enough hours that I um, got a. I was certified to teach Spanish. That's why I was in high middle school because when I did my student teaching, I had to be in a school that offered foreign languages. So oh, I did part of the student gotcha. teaching in sixth grade and part of the student teaching in seventh grade Spanish. And when you get that first job as a sixth grade teacher, what subject are you teaching? It, I think it was uh, L Ed or English language oh, arts. English language arts. Okay, because yeah. it's interesting how later you kind of transition into the science, but at first you're doing their yeah. writing yeah. English. So that first year, um, does it fly by? Well, yes, I mean, it, and it was wonderful. I mean, I'm now I'm you know I'm working in for the first time as a professional in my own right. Um, the principal, Bob Schaefer. 
Uh, he was a really good administrator. He was the type of administrator whose philosophy was, I'm the principal, you're the teachers, you do your jobs, I'll do mine, and as long as we didn't screw up, we pretty much could do whatever we wanted. Wow. It was carte blanche. You could do whatever you wanted in your classroom. Uh, you could be as creative, which was a, a kind of a trap for both of us because he hires me right out of the army. My hair is short. I'm clean shaven. Veteran dude. I'm wearing a come in wearing a sports coat and a tie, slacks, and you know straight shoes. And as that first year progresses, and I start, you know, of course now I'm on my own. I have a little apartment. I'm living by myself. Now is when I start thinking, why am I wearing a tie? Yeah. What's this piece of cloth around my neck? got to do with being a good teacher. That's yeah. kind of nuts. I'm going to stop wearing this thing. Yeah. So the tie goes. And then like, these shoes, I don't like the. I like construction boots. Yeah. And these pants, why am I spending money on a lawn, you know, on the dry cleaners? Right. When I, you know, so I start thinking from my military experience, clothes don't make the person. Right. It's the, what the person represents. It's who they are. And as long, I figure as long as you're clean and you're neat, your clothes don't make who you are. Yeah. So, so I, this is when you start that transition kind this of This is you. when, but he's given me the freedom because his attitude was, you do your jobs, I do mine. And it, I don't know if it was the first year, maybe, or, the, and of course, the other thing is hair. You know, then I start right. letting my hair grow because I thought, never again, once I get out of the Army, never again is another man going to tell me how to wear my hair. Yeah. Because hair also doesn't mean diddle squat. Yeah. You, you know, you can be a warrior and having your head shaved doesn't make you a warrior. Right. You know, I mean, if you look at Native Americans, look at yeah. pirates, you yeah. know, look at a lot of guys. <laughs> a lot of milling, badasses. A lot of badasses yeah. don't run around with burr cuts, All right. you know. So the hair starts getting longer. The clothes start changing. The beard starts coming out. The beard. The be not the not be yet? Not the beard. Okay, we'll not, get there. <clears throat> we'll get there. So... It's, it might have been my second year. But that's a gradual change. There's no Correct. one event that sparks it. Just right. kind of, you start to rebel slowly in these. And not even thinking as rebellion, just yeah. thinking about like, this has nothing to do. You know, I'm spending too much time <clears throat> on the floor with the kids. Yeah. You know, in reading groups or something. So my pants are always getting dirty. Yeah, yeah. I need somebody can just wash Dude, in a washing machine. Middle, yeah, middle you know? schools get dirt. Even high school. They get, everything gets dirty. It's going to have all this shit on it. Like, I totally understand. You're like, this is too much. So so at what point then, because I know the story, but then at what point then does that start to circle back around and bite you in the ass and kind of become an issue? So I think it might have been the second year where my hair was getting obviously long for a teacher. And I'm not looking like a teacher anymore, but he's willing to kind of go along with it. He doesn't, it's one day I come in and he and I were the two first individuals in the school every morning. You already you were know. at that point in your teaching career. You're like up and in it. Up and like in it. Yeah. Seven. He, Bob Schaefer was always six. known for being the first person in the building at seven o'clock. Well, I didn't do it intentionally, but I was usually there like at 6.30. I mean, wow. I just like to get up and get into my room early. Yeah. And then I was usually the last one to leave the building. You know, on Sundays I would go to my room because I, I mean, when you're a middle school teacher and I'm being paid to draw yeah. and to color and to do bulletin boards. Yeah. You know, I'm being paid a professional wage to do all this stuff to make my classroom an exciting place to be. And uh, I liked making it come, you know, I wanted yeah. kids to be, wanted to come in and like to be there. So, it, you know, I wasn't doing it intentionally, but it also began to be noticed about. On Sunday evenings, I would walk out into the parking lot and a squad car would be waiting. Like, you know, who the hell are you? What are you doing here? And because, of course, by then, you know, my hair was yeah, long. Yeah, you know, and they were like, And they were like, I'm, I'm a teacher here, you know. Oh, okay. We were just curious you know, why this car is yeah. in the parking lot on a Sunday at 930 at night. Or, Even growing know. up, you know, with you here and, and Spencer and, and when you taught in Ithaca, that was always your MO. You were always up 
at the crack of dawn. I, you were like out of the house before I was waking up. Like Sunday afternoons, it was just known Pop was in the classroom. So it's interesting that that was something you developed. Maybe it was the Sherman work ethic, or maybe it was you just enjoyed the work too. That you just like to get busy with it. Yeah. Well, I mean, for you know anyone listening who might be a prospective teacher, the the key to planning, uh, to teaching, as I'm sure you you know now, is planning. If you're because once the kids come in, forget it. Right. You know, I mean, once they hit the doorway, there's no what you can't tell middle school kids or elementary school kids. Okay, take five. I'll yeah. be with you in a minute. Let me figure something out. Right. You, if you want it to work, you gotta have it well planned. You gotta have stuff set up. You gotta know where you're going, why you're going there. And so I found that if I spent, usually in those days, I would go into my room on. I'd take Saturday off. I'd go into my room on Sundays, and I'd get everything planned. I'd get everything printed. That I'd, of course, those were the old days with the crank of the yeah. mimeograph machine. And I'd get all that stuff set up and ready to roll. That way, when the kids came in on Monday, I could just focus on them. And, uh, you know, and things just went much more smoothly. Mm. But it must have been sometime in the second, my second year. He says something to you. Where I'm, I go in, and he and I are the only two in the office. And I, he's in his office, and I go to my mailbox to get my mail. And he comes in, and he's, I think, you know, he says something like, So, when are you going to get a haircut? And I, you know, I, I just thought he was joking. Yeah. You know, I said, well, I know, but, you know, Bob, my barber's on strike, you know, <laughs> ha, ha, you know, and I just turn around and walk out. Yeah. Well, then he never said it, never said another word. I never heard, you know, he never, I think because he could see that even though I didn't look like what a teacher was supposed to look like, that my work ethic was such that it, he was the kind of individual who could begin to separate his personal opinions from his professional opinions. And he could start saying, like, how, how could he say something to me? You know, even though I don't look like a teacher anymore, obviously I'm producing. I'm doing what I'm supposed do to they, do. Do they have, like, tests? How do they evaluate you in those days? But somewhere you felt, like, under the gun, like I know teachers are now for the regents and stuff? Or No, there was there were no state... Well, I think there, there probably were some standardized tests that the kids had to take, but it was... All of that bull crap <laughs> yeah. started with the Bush-Cheney era. So how were you evaluated at that point? Well, the principal would come in, mm. and he would observe us. Oh, cool. And then he would write an observation, and then it would go to the district office. And that was it? And that was it. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. I think there were some standardized tests that the kids took for the state of New York just you know, so they could see how kids were doing. But it, 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 were, it was never tied in any way to a teacher's performance. Mm. You know, and okay. still shouldn't be. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's because it, you know, that's what teachers stress about. You know, now it's spending time in school. Yeah. That's the big headache is, is how do you? Because if your kids don't perform, you you get in trouble. So, then at what point? Because I know this the I this story gets good. What point then does it kind of become the big deal and everything kind of starts to get complicated? Yeah, complicated. <clears throat> so it's my third year, and. You know, a lot of the children in in my classes, um, you know, it was a big middle school. There were four, three sixth grade teams with uh, almost 100 kids on a team. So there were like, you know, almost, what, 300 kids in each grade. It's a big middle school. Wow. And uh, That's a big district. Yeah, big school district. There were 630 teachers in, in the district. So one day... Same old, same old. Kids have to stand up every morning to say the pledge. And the, uh, of course, now by now my hair's gotten, you know, I think I've got, I'm wearing my hair in a ponytail. And um, the, it's, uh, and of course, once I got out of the Army, at that point, I was determined never again was I going to pledge anybody's flag. You know, just a piece of cloth on a silly stick. You know, and patriot that blind patriotism is what causes so much death and destruction with young boys yeah. because they start getting pumped with patriotic 
nonsense early in their lives. By the time they get to where they're 17 and 18, start beating those war drums. They don't have a clue of why, but they just are going to follow the drums. So, so I was wondering where my rebellious streak came from. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 so for the, my, pledge, the pledge thing. It's the pledge thing. So my third year, I can't remember how far we are into the school year, but you know, what I always did was, you know, I've I'm, I'm always been respectful because I know even though the flag has no meaning for me, it means a lot to World War veterans, to a veterans, lot of people, Vietnam, you know, Vietnam, other Vietnam veterans. It mean it does that patriotic symbol means a lot. So I always, as a teacher, would just go to the when when I knew the pledge was coming in my homeroom, I would just walk to the back of the room and I would just I always stood mm. and I always stood politely facing the flag. But I just never, and even now, even at school board meetings, you know, when we all, when they stand, I don't pledge the flag. I mean, I just don't. So, and I want to continue this, but it's interesting now that this, this topic has resurfaced in such a manner with all the football stuff. Oh, right. And now that this has come back around, what have you thought of these sort of recent events of the kneeling or of the not pledging? Did you feel like you were a little bit before your time? (laughs) (laughs) And I know it's, you know, for different reasons, but it's, it was, I was thinking about you, you know, when this, because it was, it's been a big deal one of the biggest touch points is over the past year right. was the you know the whole caught national attention you know the whole thing it's right. kind of been you can tell it's a sensitive issue but also people have their own reasons you know and right. so um i don't know possibly maybe you're just a trendsetter like that well when um oh fizzle nuts there cap um for the kaepernick kaepernick, kaepernick for the you know i i i had you know give him a lot of credit you know, it lot, takes a lot of a lot of guts, yeah. a lot of nerve, because you know what's going to happen. You know what you know the the blowback. Yeah. And for him to have taken that stand and to have been the leader, in that regards, I you know a lot of respect for him. And obviously, look what it's cost him. Yeah, absolutely. You know, a lot of cost him his football career. Which is crazy, because you think about that's. But sometimes you just have to take a stand. Yeah. You know. And almost cost you your teaching career. Well, yeah. <laughs> so, a little less money on the line. Yeah, but, a little, yeah, my yeah. seven grand <laughs> compared to his whatever. He's probably going to make him 40 at that time, 40 yeah. Gs, you know, probably yeah. something like <laughs> so that. So the third year, one morning, you know, the pledge, it's time to say the pledge, you know, and so often, and I know you've seen it, you know, a, a bunch of the kids could care less. Yeah. You know, they're half standing, half sitting. It's early um, in the morning. Rough, rough, yeah. Rough, you know, and they're just kind of mumbling and they have no clue really of what they're saying or why they're saying no it. No idea. So being a teacher, I think, you know, enough of this already. Plus a lot of these kids are, are, they're Jewish and Hitler <laughs> could only get away with what he was able to get away with because of the German boys that were willing to pick up weapons yeah. and blindly follow yeah, his this, blind propaganda. You know, this sociopath. So I thought, okay, that this is a teachable moment. Yeah, I need to do something about this. So at the at the edge of the end of the pledge, I walk around, and um, you know, I said, okay, here's what's going on. Every day since you've been in kindergarten and you're in school, you've gotten up and you say the pledge to the flag. Do you really know why you say the pledge? Do you know, you know, do you even really understand what it's about? And so we have a conversation. And then at the end of the conversation, I, I say, um, if you, it's important to, if you don't understand what you're saying, you shouldn't say it. If you don't mean what you say, don't say it. Be deliberate. Be deliberate. Understand what it is you're saying before you speak. So if you don't know why you're saying the Pledge of the Flag, go home tonight and talk it over with your parents. And if you don't feel like you want to say that, there's no law that says you have to pledge a flag. Mm. If you go home and talk it over with your parents, and if you don't feel like you, you want to say it or you understand why you're saying it, then you should you should talk you know you should have a conversation with your parents. So one little girl, 
Ann Pavlov. <laughs> it's crazy you remember her name too. Oh, she, yeah. And she, we, we maintained friendship even when she would, uh, got, you know, was doing her undergraduate work and stuff. Oh, wow. So Ann Pavlov, just as cute as can be, sixth grade girl, goes home and at dinner time, you know, and you know, there was a, there was a pretty conservative element in, yeah. in Williamsville. Although it's a very liberal element, there's also a very conservative element. Ann Pavlov goes home and around the dinner table, she says, Mr. Rogers said I don't have to pledge the flag. The next morning, I get to school, and Bob Schaefer calls me into his office. Oh, no, there's an, oh, I get to school, I go to my room, and then I go into the, uh, later when I have a break, there's a, a notice in my mailbox, Bob Schaefer wants to see me. So I thought, ooh, what's this all about? So I go into his office, he gets up, and he closes the door. Well, we knew as a faculty. That's bad news. That's bad news. When Bob Schaefer has a teacher in his room, his office, and he closes the door, you know that teacher <laughs> has screwed up. You're in time because out. normally the door is always open. Yeah. So he closes the door, and he says to me, what is this about you told the kids and the children in your class that they don't have to pledge the flag? And I said, Bob, that's not what I said. I didn't tell them that they didn't have to say the pledge of the flag. I said that they should go home and talk to their parents so they understand why they're saying the pledge to the flag. And if they don't agree or if they don't understand or don't want to, that they don't have to. And then he says, well, I've decided I'm taking you out of your homeroom. I'm going to put an aide in there, and then after the pledge of the flag and the morning announcements, uh, then you can go back into your homeroom. I say, okay. Okay, Bob. So I walk out. You know, I go back to my room. The day goes by, lickety split, and then I get home that night, and then I start thinking about it. And I start thinking, wait a minute. He's telling me that I'm a good influence on children for the entire day, except for the three minutes <laughs> during that. the pledge to the flag, yeah. and then I'm a bad influence, so bad that he's taking me out of the homeroom, telling me to stand in the hallway. So I thought, no, that's wrong. That's, that, this, this is not right. So the next morning, I get, to I get to school. It's just me and Bob. And I go into, and plus, everybody always called him Mr. Schaefer. When I got out of the Army, no more misters, no more doctors, no more titles. Everybody's on a first-name basis. I don't care who they were until they prove to me that they deserve my respect. Then I might call them doctor, yeah. or I'd put some title in front of their name. But up until then, it was just on a first-name basis. <laughs> so I walk into his office. And I say, you know, and he, and he, you know, he looks up and he goes, so basically, you know, what's up? And so I sit down and I say to him, well, Bob, I thought about what you told me yesterday. And I realized that I can't let you take me out of my homeroom. Well. Do you think you might have phrased it? Could have phrased it differently? <laughs> <laughs> now, the, one, of the few re, the, one of the few ways that a teacher can be summar, summarily dismissed is for insubordination. Otherwise, you if you you got to work real hard to get rid of a teacher, yeah. not for insubordination. So he, once I say to him that I can't let you take me out of my room, he just gets beat red, and he look he kind of leans up. And, you know, this this guy he's a World War II bomber right. pilot. Yeah, you know he's a serious guy, and he's never had anybody say anything like that to him, especially one of his teachers. And he kind of sits right up and looks right at me across the table, and he points at me and he says, "That's insubordination." <laughs> and I look right back at him, and. He is a man that I had great respect for as a teacher, as a, you know, as a principal, as a bomber pilot in World War II. And he was the kind of leader who, after three years, if he would have said, jump, I'd jump. If yeah. he said, run into the building and drag, you know, get those people out of that burning house, I would have run into the building yeah. and get the people to drag them out. So I just look right back at him and I just say, Bob, 
I couldn't be insubordinate to you. And he, his color just changes. He just kind of gets white. And he sits back. And he just says, well, what are we going to do? <laughs> and I say, I said, Bob, I don't have a problem. <laughs> I don't have a problem with me being in my room during the pledge. You're the one who's got the problem. So you've got to figure something out. And then, of course, I, I leave. And, um, you know, this little, I can't remember quite the chronology, but I know that um, I go, I, oh, because also, by my third year, I'm really involved in the teachers' union. Mm. One of the things, <clears throat> once I got out of the Army, I've, and I started my, you know, started working as a teacher, I felt that you, you, we are obligated, if you're going to live in a democracy, you are obligated to participate in the democracy. And one thing I learned about the Army is if you don't keep your hands in the mix, guys out there are going to do things to you or they're going to take stuff away from you, so you better stay involved in the political process in, in some way or form. So I, got, I started getting involved with the teachers' union. Mm -hmm. And of course, the, teachers, the president of the teachers' union was another young teacher uh, older than me, but single. And of course, once I, once it became clear that I was willing to get involved and start doing things in my building, he knew he had a, a right hand person. So I started doing lots of stuff with the union. So that night, I went, I went and called Brandon McDonald, who was the union president, and told him what happened. And he said, "It's not a big deal. I'll call NYSET, New York State United Teachers, yeah. the union, and we'll have a representative in your building first thing in the morning." So let's stop here for a second, just to look at it. Do you think, in retrospect, you could have handled the situation differently, or would have wanted to? Well, because in my mind, I feel like you could have just squashed it with Bob, right there saying, hey, Bob, um, listen, I was thinking about what you said yesterday. Is there any way that I could stay in my homeroom so that you don't have to send an aide up there? I'd love to stay in my homeroom. I, you know, I, what, what's, the, what's the issue? Yeah. You know what I mean? Because <clears throat> then as soon as it is, you can't do this, then it's like, it's like how big is your dick sort of a thing. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> right. then it's like, is yours bigger? You know what I'm saying? Right. Guys get puffed up real quick compared yeah. to, if, you know, I feel like just it's like almost when you said the, the other turn of phrase, how he backed off immediately, guy, especially guys who's in position of power, you think of him instead of questioning his authority, like, or bringing in the rep because then it gets serious, just sitting there saying, hey, Bob, what can we, let's figure this out, you know, because obviously he, he respected you a lot too. And it was mutual. So that, but then as soon as you bust out, you play your hand with the representative, that's kind of a, a power play. Well, yeah, and of course, so the, and the way it unfolds, it's, it's somewhat the way you're, you know, referring to it, is, uh, so I call Brandon, Braden, excuse me, the next morning uh, when I get there to school, I, I get a, a call from the office secretary telling me that there's a man in the office there to see me, so I know it's the union rep, the legal rep is coming. So I kind of have in my mind this lawyer-looking guy, you know, he's going to have a three-piece suit, yeah. he's going he's, he's to be my lawyer, now I'm going to, and I walk in, and there's this Weasley-looking guy <laughs> sitting there, and I can't remember his name, but he was smaller than me, and he, he, he like, and I Greasy, looked at him, and, he, and he's my, he's my <laughs> legal counsel, and I'm thinking, oh my God, how does this happen? But we go in, looks are deceiving, same old story, don't judge a book by its cover, we go into Schaefer's office, and he, he knows his law, and he just lays it out. He's calm. He's effective. He's you know he knows how to do it, and he just explains to Bob, this is the law, this is the way, this is the law about te you know that you know nobody has to pledge a flag anywhere. Uh, the law says, you know, and he, he just lays out the law. And Schaefer is the kind of man that when the law is presented to yeah, him, he respects that. Re he respects it. So it goes away. Oh, interesting. Yeah. For a while. <laughs> but this, so then, the, this is my tenure year. 
So as we move through the year, it's not long before um, the, the school board is going to have to be making a vote on tenure. So this must be getting into the spring of that year. And um, I get another call from the secretary saying that um, the personnel director of the school district wants to see me. And by now, though, also we've changed superintendents. Uh, William Keller has been pushed out because he had made the fatal error early on uh, to bus maybe some black children from the inner city Buffalo wow. to the Williamsville schools. You know, not a lot, just a few handfuls maybe in each school to provide an opportunity for these inner school children. Yeah. The same opportunities that the children of Williamsville have. And it creates this storm of protest where with, within months or a year, the, at the next school board election, four, there are nine, it's a nine-member school board. A majority of the progressive liberals are voted out. These hardcore conservative, almost like Tea Party yeah. lawyers get voted in. They, get, they force Keller out, and they bring in this Dr. Bernard Hatch from Indiana, whose uh, his Ph.D., is like in breaking teacher unions. <laughs> you know, I mean, he's this really hardcore right-wing conservative. He's the superintendent now. Obviously, Bob Schaefer, being a principal, has had, has had to push up through the administration some of the difficulties that he's had with me because of the whole pledge thing. So now on this day, sometime, you know, before spring, I go, I get called and down to Bob Schaefer's office and I go in and the uh, personnel director is sitting behind Schaefer's desk. Schaefer's not in the office. And of course I should have known now as a union rep because by now I'm pretty involved with the union that if any time a teacher knows that you that they think there's something going on with an administrator where there it's has it's punitive or it's d disciplinary Never go in by yourself. Mm. Always have a union rep, and that's and that's by law. Teachers have that right. Well, I should have known better. So anyway, I go in. It's just me, and I can't even remember the guy's name now. But he is a one slick dude. He's the dude that you thought was going to be your lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> he, this guy. I mean, you know, he's short hair, clean shaven, really nice clothes. Big, every time, you know, I was looking at his hands and I just wanted to ask him, you know, like how much, you know, can I just have one of his rings? You know, he's really made up. <laughs> he's a pimp. He got the pink yeah, ring and everything. He's, he's looking good. He's the personnel director. And he basically says to me, you know, Mr. Rogers, this is your tenure year. The school board will be voting on your tenure in the weeks to come. And it might be worth your while to consider some of your ways and your some because he had to be very delicate about yeah. how he said it. He just you just might want to consider some of the your politics and your and some of your ways, meaning start looking like a teacher again and back out of the politics. Yeah. Stuff. So that's all he says. And the meeting's over. So I go out, you know, I leave. <clears throat> And now, of course, I start thinking, holy moly. He basically, he's just told me that if I keep going the way I'm going. Are you doing <clears throat> other political things at this point? Well, yeah, there's a lot of tension going on between the teachers union oh, and the district okay, because gotcha. it's contract. There's also a contract coming up. Okay, gotcha, Contract gotcha. negotiations. So it wasn't just the pledge thing. You're kind of causing I'm trouble in, yeah. in a bunch Plus, of Plus, I'm writing... Uh, because we were such a big union, we had um, we had our own union offices, and uh, there was a newsletter um, that I wrote for. Because I, you know, basically, remember I was in the army. I was yeah. trained as a journalist, so I wrote for the union newsletter. So my name is out there. Uh, gotcha. The people in the main office uh, they know they know who I am. So that's when I start kind of going home at night and thinking, is this worth it. 
you know, I, I'm just a redneck kid from Polk County, Florida, <laughs> with my, you know, your grandmother, you know, worked in an egg factory, your yeah. dad, your granddad's an automobile mechanic. I'm the only one of the family between my two sisters to get an education. And now not only am I a teacher, but I'm working in Williamsville, New York, and I'm gonna give all this up because I don't, I want to wear my, you know, I don't think anybody should tell me how to look yeah. and because I don't, and I don't want to play, and I'm not going to pledge the flag. Is it really worth it? And those are some sleepless nights. And I start, you know, and then I start thinking, of course it's worth it. You're a teacher. You know, how can you be a, how can you be a role model? And oh, and by then too, I had already started teaching. There, it wound up at times teaching social studies classes. Oh, cool. And so I just feel like that would have been your jam, man. Yeah, and and of course, well, not so much in those days. I mean, because right. I was still pretty limited. But you know, and so I start thinking, okay, what do you talk about in social studies, or if, or if you're in, in language arts, you're reading novels about people who take stands, people who stand up for what they believe in, who are willing to make sacrifices. So I'm going to be afraid of losing my teaching job because of my hair and my politics. So I'm going to be so afraid of losing this job that I'm going to cut my hair and I'm going to start, you know, I'm going to tamper back my politics and start pledging the flag. And so one day I'm going to go into my social studies class with now I'm going to be clean shaven, my hair is going to be short, and some kid's going to say, hey, Mr., and we're going to talk about standing for what, for what you believe in, yeah. making sacrifices. And some kid's going to say, Mr. Rogers, how come you got a haircut? And I'm going to say, oh, because I was afraid of losing my job. Yeah. So then where's my credibility? Where's my authenticity with the kids? Kids are smart. They, they see through, through bullshit. Yeah. You know, there's, here, oh, oh, here's another guy who's, you know, talks, talks the talk but doesn't walk the walk. Right. So I thought, I can't, I can't do this. You know, I've got to stand up for what I believe in. And then one Sunday, I'm, in the, I'm going, walking down the hall and the union rep for our building, his name was Dick Novak, he was an English, eighth grade English teacher. He's our union rep, and he's in the building, you know, on a Sunday doing some his lesson plans or whatever, and he stops me in the hallway, and he was more conservative, I always knew he was more conservative, and he stops me in the hallway, and he says something to me to the effect that, are you really, are you really gonna do this? You're going to throw away your teaching degrees because you don't want to cut your, you, you know, you don't want to cut your hair and, and you're not going to say the pledge. He said, look, I need to tell you right now, the teachers aren't going to back you up on this. You, you know, this is, this is serious stuff, politics. You know, you, um, you might want to think about this because he said the teachers aren't going to back you up. And I'm thinking, oh, so I go home that night and I'm thinking, holy crap, you know, I'm, you know, really? I'm, I, I, of course, I didn't know. 630. I knew the teachers in my building, yeah. and I thought, well, maybe. Did, did I... you get along with them? Did you have homies, like like good friends? Or... Uh, the only not well, yes and no. Uh, there were two teachers that I hung out with. Uh, one was the art teacher, Marianne and Zina, mm. really neat lady, uh, and she had like she was good friends with some of the art teachers and the but she was a homie. She was a grew up in that area. Oh, right. and then uh, the seventh grade English teacher. Um, he was um, Jim Battaglia. So they were both young, both single, and often on a Friday night, um, I would meet up with them at a local bar. Uh, Mary Ann had you know, some of her, her women teacher friends. Uh, they would go to certain bars, and then Jim Battaglia was more, he liked to go to some of these bars in Buffalo that he knew from growing up that were one of them. I don't remember the name of it, but it was almost like a bar where, you know, some bikers might be in there, some University of Buffalo graduates, college students would be in there. And, um, and, and so I would, ha those were the two that I would, usually on a Friday night, that was the night that I would often go off. And of course I had a certain particular habit that I brought with me. <laughs> From the army, yeah. that I, you know, I would often catch a little buzz, but you know, I was that was I think I was the only teacher out of 630 that you know had anything to do with ganja. That's I mean, it was, crazy. It just wasn't so. But I, you know, as the army, I mean, yeah, you know, I didn't drink and smoke till I got in the <laughs> army. You know, so, but that's you know, like a surf, yeah. 
but they were some, you know, my teacher friends that I was comfortable with. So, you know, it was a Friday night and, you know, my routine in those old days where I would, you know, go back to my little apartment and I wouldn't even leave my classroom on a Friday till like 6, 6.30, 7 o'clock, wow. you know. Is and, that, so, because I'm curious too, because it's four years, are you, when you're after the work day, are you, are you, is there any inkling of a writing on your mind or are you spending those after, there, I mean, Netflix doesn't exist. What yeah, do you spend no. your nights doing? I would uh, grading papers. Oh, that's right, yeah. dude. Teaching is such doing lesson plans or grading papers such mostly. A ridiculous job, man. Yeah. It's so much work. Damn. However, thinking about you with the yoga, um, one of the things I learned. Or, so that first year, I'm, I'm, finding myself, raising my voice, you know, acting like an adult yeah. with middle school sixth graders, and and that first year. I'm start, I catch myself at the end of the day thinking something's not right. I, sh if to, you know, I know from my Psych 101 self-actualization, if you're doing something you really want to do professionally and you're in the right profession or you're in the right whatever it is you're doing that you know, makes your heart sore, yeah. to be self-actualized, should, you should be feeling good about yourself at the end of the day. Right. Well, I'm going home feeling not good because I've ra been raising my voice or losing my patience. So I thought, I know I'm, I know I'm in the right profession. There's something missing. I shouldn't be raising my voice and acting like an adult with sixth graders. Yeah. So that's when that first year I think, okay, I got to start doing, I got to start doing something differently. And that's when I realized maybe I need more physical activity. Oh, cool. So that's when I start um, going down to the gym after school. Now, I was never adept at basketball, but usually I might be the only one in there. Yeah. And I'd get a basketball. I, had gym, I got some gym shorts and oh, my cool. tennis shoes, and I'd go down to the gym, and I'd just run back. In wintertime, yeah, you know, yeah. run laps and shoot baskets. And then I started thinking about, what about this yoga stuff? Yoga was even back then. Yeah. Huh? Wow. So I went to the local library in Williamsville, and I got checked out some how-to books. That's amazing. On yoga. And one of them, the woman kept it real simple and just had some very simple um, forms that one you could do. And I, you know, mimeographed the pages, and then I started doing the yoga routine mm. and I've done it ever since. That is insane, Pops. Yeah, I know you still yeah. have a little routine. I can't yeah. you were doing it back then. Did yeah. you notice there was a change? Was that kind of the key for you to not yeah. feel so just to right. have a physical outlet and not feel so right. Wow, because yeah. I still lose my mind to sixth graders, <laughs> and I'm hella physical, and I'm still going to lose my shit. Yeah. Well, <laughs> one of the early events that also brought that on was uh, I attended and always have, as a classroom teacher for 20 years, I attended everything offered after school. Yeah. All the dances, all uh, concerts, everything. And it must have, it was that first year where there was a dance on a Friday night, I realized I wasn't going to drive back to my apartment. I was just going to stay in my room and um, and then go to the dance. And that's one of the times when I realized, you know, I was pretty wound up, you know, because the day I'd been a rough day and yeah. raised my voice or whatever. And that's when I realized this is not okay. The kids are coming back for, you know, the seventh and eighth graders are coming back for a dance. And the last thing they want is an adult around with a big old sourpuss yeah. who's going to be growling at them. So they don't, I got to do something in between. I need to catch a buzz or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I wouldn't go that far. But Mr. Rogers the, uh, was having a great time at that dance. <laughs> I will have to tell you, just to, uh, as a quick aside, <laughs> as a quick aside, when I, uh, I know this is public knowledge, so I probably shouldn't say tell you this story, but and, well, anyway, I no. So that's when I, that's when the yoga and stuff started really. When I really started getting into it, so that I, I could change my mental state, and by being more physical in, in that, uh, when I was doing things after school with the kids, and then also during, you know, during the day. Yeah, yeah. Because by then I realized I needed to change things up. And even now, I mean, same thing now with any young adult, any any working any working stiff, 
You know, during the day, no matter who you are or what job you have, you should be taking some time out of your day to do something physical. Yeah. Go for a walk, uh, do yoga, go down in the gym, go swim. hundred percent. Do something like, well, like me now, you know, I would say my outdoor physical spiritual hour. Yeah. I mean, that's that's when this all started 40-something years ago. I think I got it. I, I remember, yeah, um, that's become a huge part of my life. And I think part of it was when you put me on that little workout routine back in the day, um, my actually my workout regimen but it's it's a game changer for me you know and pe you know anybody that knows me you know knows that that's because i'm you know I'm putting that shit up on instagram whatever it's just yeah. like the workout stuff and being fit it's not like you even have to be a triathlete or anything but just taking some time an hour 45 minutes of your day go on a walk yoga workout run swim whatever just to like physically be there that pillar of health is super important and it becomes meditative yeah a hundred pile yeah and so yeah. just to skip ahead a little bit so you start causing problems shit hits the fan i do want to keep going in the story after and get get to the point where then you get inspired after your time as a teacher but i couldn't leave without the strike story so uh, first, um, the, um, so first of all, let's just do the whole thing at the end of the third year, the, the, uh, the, the vote is coming around by the school board on the teachers that are going to get tenure and the teachers are not being granted tenure. Now this is a big school district, so there must be 30 of us or something. I don't know, elementary, middle school, high school, all young. We, we kind of show up, you know, at the board meeting where they are going to read off the names of the teachers who are being granted tenure. Mm. And out of this list of 30 names, everybody's name is mentioned but mine. Damn. And, of course, at the end of the school board meeting, all my fellow colleagues who now know they've been granted tenure, they're all happy, they're all getting up and leaving. And I'm thinking, holy shit. You're the only one. I'm the only one, which means that's it. My teaching career's over. Because if you're not granted tenure in New York State, something's got to be wrong. So, and as for those that don't know, myself included, after you don't get granted tenure, is it really difficult to get a job somewhere else? Oh, as a teacher. Wow. Oh yeah. If you're not granted tenure, there's got to be something wrong with you. So there, the district. It's that easy to get. Well, all you have to do is keep your nose clean and you know be a you know do your job yeah. and you know you're more like and most likely you're unless you know you need help you're going to be granted tenure. Wow. So I figure well that's my career is over. At the end of the, you know mm. at the end of the school year, that's it. So I go home, I go back to my apartment, and I'm unlocking the door and I hear the phone ringing. Well, there must have been somebody else at that meeting who was paying attention because I answer the phone and it's Braden McDonald telling me, we heard what happened at the meeting. Don't worry. You, you, you're a, with the union, you were a strong union. We'll, 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 do what, we'll take care of this because what they've done, we know that what they've done is wrong. It's obvious that because of my work record yeah. and my work ethic, the only reason why they're denying me tenure were the two reasons why they could not deny me tenure, which was for politics or race and, yeah. you know, and religion. So that's when in the next two in the next two week period, uh, I'm I'm overwhelmed and awed because once it gets out, first of all, there, at the there was a Williamsville Bee was a local paper. Uh, it put out all the teachers who were granted tenure and Rick Rogers who was not. It gets out in the community. It, word of mouth starts to spread. And now the parents who I never, and of course the teachers who Dick Novak told me were not going to support yeah. me, which was baloney. The, the support for me is just incredible. The parents... I, you know the letters I start getting, the phone calls I start getting. Two of the dads, one's a con teaches constitutional law at University of Buffalo. One is a high-powered uh, defense attorney. They both call me up, say, "Look, wow. we heard what happened. If you want to talk, we've got time. Just let us know." 
Uh, That's dope. Know. And uh, so anyway, within two weeks, it creates this big, the parents, to my, you know, I'm, I'm just overwhelmed. All those weekends when I'm in my classroom, when my classroom light is on, and I'm the only, only room in that building where a light is on in that suburban neighborhood with the parents who are seeing my light on, they start coming out and they start making calls. And in two, within two weeks at the next school board meeting, the parents start going up to that microphone and start you know, speaking on my behalf. And basically now, of course, what the seven board members did I think they thought that if they just denied me tenure, it would just go away. Yeah. I would go away. Yeah. But being lawyers, they also knew that what they were doing was illegal. Yeah. But I think they thought they could get away with it. And they didn't because it got out and it became obvious that what they had done was illegal. So at the next school board meeting, they had to reinstate, they, they had to grant me tenure, but they did it by only the one vote margin <laughs> so that, you know, they, they you know, you they must have had to draw just, straws. Yeah. Okay, who wants to, who's, who can be the unfortunate one that has to vote to give this guy tenure? Oh, damn. And, uh, and of course, by then, I had already planned on leaving. I mean, I had already started thinking about going on the big adventure and giving up my, you know, and, and going off. And so at the end of that board meeting, when they had to reinstate me and grant me tenure, one of the board members, who was a, a lawyer and a, a good lawyer, he came up to me and he congratulated me. He apologized for everything that had happened. And then he said, I understand that you're, you're planning on leaving after all of this. And I said, well, yeah, I, I plan, you know, at the end of my fourth year, I planned on kind of going, you know, going off and maybe teaching in a rural area. And, and I said, you know, if these guys would have just waited a year, I'd been gone anyway. And he said, well, oh, gosh, I'm really sorry to hear that. And because, you know, he said, you're, you know, you're valued here. And, um, and then that, that was it. That was that. And then, of course, now in the next fall, the beginning of my fourth year is when the strike is going to Yeah, disco yeah. ball. So it's kind of dark, and you know, and, and the kids are dancing. You know, and of course I'm walking around. It's a slow dance because they're not supposed to be, you know, coochie coochie we'll, we'll and all that stuff. And I'm walking around, and I look down on the floor, and I see this little ball on the floor. So I thought, oh, so you know, not me. I'm not. I don't walk my trash. Yeah. You know, leave it. So I bend down and I pick it up, and it's this little wad of ganja and saran wrap. You know, and of course it's kind of dark, and I pick it up, and I look at it, and I look around, and praise the Lord. <laughs> Just slipped it in my pocket. Was from one of the kids? Yeah, one of the kids dropped a stash. 